is Women Who Rock, a podcast promoting female musicians and artists. Today, I am joined by actors Holly Champion and Kiara Osborne, who are the artistic director and social media manager, respectively, of a brand new Shakespeare live streaming project called Streamed Shakespeare. Holly and Kiara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Firstly, can you just tell us a little bit about what is Stream Shakespeare and where did the idea or the concept come from? I might answer this one because I founded it um, at the beginning of the coronavirus lockdown, basically because I could see that theatres were just shutting left, right and centre and probably wouldn't be reopening again for some time. And I was seeing all my friends coming up with these amazing kind of coronavirus lockdown goals of read through the entire works of Shakespeare And then I saw someone doing an online uh, play reading group and I thought, hang on, if we're going to be reading through Shakespeare anyway, we may as well do it together and we may as well live stream the results and actually make it a performance instead of just a a closed read. And so it just kind of snowballed from there and I asked Charlie Mayer and Sam Huff to help me and who are both actor and director friends. And then um, Araf Samadhi came on the board project as tech director and um, within a week, we had live streamed the Comedy of Errors, which Kiara Wikia was in, and uh, went, <clears throat> went really well. So we've just kept doing a show a week since then. It's been really amazing how it's all just snowballed. Yeah. Uh, one week seems like a very short time to put the first performance together. It was a lot of stress, but we also didn't ask too much of ourselves. And I think at that point, the expectation from audiences was very low as well because everyone was just in such chaos that we we knew that I knew that this was a moment in history where chaos was fine chaos was expected and nothing was going to be perfect and so everyone was just enjoying whatever people were coming up with if it was positive and you know gave them a few hours of escapism then that was all they wanted so we had a very low bar really but we actually got some wonderful actors on board immediately um, and they self-cast for the first show so I really didn't have to do very much directing at all for the first show Um, and we didn't really have very much rehearsal we only rehearsed a couple of the scenes and we just did it (laughs) and it worked out really well. One of the really unique things is that I've seen a lot of performances streamed where everyone who's doing the performance, maybe it's for a band or a choir or something, they're kind of they are physically in the same room, but then it's there's no audience, it's streamed out to the world. But this is very unique because not only is the audience scattered around the world, but so are the cast and everyone involved in the production. Was that uh, this is, I mean, yeah, we're in strange times, it's all very new and happening. Did you have an intention? that you wanted to make it so that everyone is in a different place or is it just it came through because you were just trying to do the best that you could with the situation that you had at hand? Yeah, I was just trying to make lemonade out of lemons basically. Um, I I was already using Zoom extensively for my music teaching um, because um, I'm in a high-risk category myself for catching COVID-19 and um, 
so I was already familiar with the platform and knew that it could be used in all sorts of creative ways um, and thought that, you know, hardly anyone else is doing this. I, I did find one other group at that point early on who was doing something similar, doing play readings of Shakespeare once a week on Zoom. And, and I got in touch with them. It's the, they're called The Show Must Go Online. And it was founded by Rob Miles, who's a uh, Shakespearean actor and director in the UK. And they wrote back to me and they completely endorsed the fact that I was going off and doing it in a completely different time zone and on the other side of the world um, and doing it in our what became our very own unique way of approaching it. Um, mm. So it was very much born of necessity and just thinking outside the box a little bit and the fact that we can now get the pick of the crop in terms of actors and directors and creatives who are all out of work and are desperate for some some way to show their skill and to ex- explore a new medium and to connect with their peers and colleagues in this weird environment and this stressful time that we're all going through. I think it's just so fantastic because we can we can have actors and directors. We've got some directors lined up from UK. Um, we've got a graphic designer who's living in Amsterdam. We've got a um, publicist and contributing editor who's living in British Columbia now. And it's just so fantastic. We've got this wonderful online community now that's just growing and growing and it never would have never would have come into being otherwise if it weren't for this strange situation. It is a very large online network. And I think it's interesting because in a way now everything is so connected. But in a different way, there is the lacking the connection with a physical audience. So you're both involved with the show behind the scenes, you're doing lots of stuff, but you're also actors and you've been uh, performing as well. So I'm interested to hear how is it going through the process of doing a performance through Zoom where you're basically in your lounge room or in your bedroom, but you're performing to the world. How different is that to being on stage? It's really interesting. I, I was discussing this the other day because even more strangely, I've actually moved back in with my parents, which I'm loving. And I'm in sort of my, my childhood home here and away from any anyone I haven't seen, friends or, or anybody, and doing these plays in such a small space. And especially when you're doing comedies, you rely so, so heavily on audience interaction and just it, the audience are how you can sort of perceive how well you're doing. <laughs> if they're laughing, if they're enjoying it, you can feel it. Whereas the only thing we have to work off is is we're looking straight down into this little webcam on our MacBooks to, and then delivering lines into silence, hoping that they're maybe being enjoyed. You just don't know. You don't even have mm. an applause, you know, or anything. Not that we do it for that, but you know what I mean. It's 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 really strange not having that. And and as actors and performers, especially for stage, we do it because we want to share this story, and we can see people and and feel them getting involved. Um, so it's really odd doing something like Shakespeare that's so dramatic and over the top with a MacBook and a green screen behind. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it almost sounds like you're describing like you're losing a sense because there's that kind of yeah. unwritten feedback or tension or something in the air when you're in a live room. 
so you're kind of missing a sense in a way, but in another way, you're getting more direct feedback because uh, my understanding is that during the the play, people can actually they can message, right, or they can make comments. Yeah, it's it's um, everyone sort of likened it to being at the Globe in the sort of stalls where it's very much the audience is like another character. You right, know, they, okay. they talk and they and they can yell out and um, like I, I've I've been to the Globe and had actors come down and you know have drinks with with the audience. Obviously, that's not happening, but it's really fun how someone you know say for example when we did a Midsummer Night's Dream and one of the boys playing Lysander you know took his shirt off in this incredible dramatic presentation. And the comments were like, oh, my goodness, oh, my, you know, this raucous sort of thing, which is exactly what would happen if you were performing it live at the Globe. You'd have the, the audience would, you know, whistle and woo and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's really great. And I think it also brings them into the community even more because we're noticing people are coming back every week, every Sunday, and we'll talk to one another and sort of go, oh, hi again. Have you got your cup of tea? Yes, I've got mine. Like it's really, really lovely. Yeah, and I think that it's also interesting coming up from a point of view of someone because uh, I've worked in film and television as well as stage as an actor and um, it is sort of like a cross between theatre and I guess live television or filming for, for the screen um, because you're performing most of all, I think, in the moment I feel you're performing for your colleagues because we're all in the Zoom watching each other perform and sometimes giving each other little um, little moments of support in the chat function, um, disobeying the uh, stage manager's directions of them <laughs> only having control over the chat. <laughs> and then we're, you know, watching the, um, the statistics and all the comments and everything often later during interval or afterwards. So... Although Chiara, as social media manager, has been on the stream interacting with the performers a lot, um, some of the other actors haven't had that quite so much because it's very much the case that there is there is a delay from the what is fed through OBS um, and comes out on the live stream. is about a 20 or 30 second delay. So we've actually been asking actors to turn off their Facebook and not watch the live stream as it appears on Facebook and soon to be on YouTube as well, um, because it's very distracting because they are, on the one hand, looking at their, their own performance, which is unusual. You normally don't get to see your own face um, mm. when you're filming something. Um, so you can be distracted by looking at yourself. You can be distracted by reading the text, which you don't normally do with a live, live production or um, on screen because normally you've memorised it, but we're just doing stage readings. So you've got to think about your eye line coming as close to the, the camera barrel as possible so it gives that sense of engagement with the audience and with their um, fellow actors on, on screen. And then to have the live stream as well is actually quite distracting. So we've been asking them mm. to not look at it as much as possible, even though they're dying to look and see what the audience are saying. Um, so we're all sort of checking it out at the interval and going, oh, you know, look at all these jokes they made about his hairy chest. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new kind of normal, I guess. Oh, yeah. Feedback in a different way. I would like to have 
an excerpt from a Zoom streamable Shakespeare show in a podcast. Um, let's try and do that. Uh, so the last <laughs> performance was As You Like It. Uh, Kiara, can you give us a little bit of an overview of what we're about to hear? Yes. So um, this this little scene is between two characters called Rosalind and Celia. Rosalind played by yours truly and Celia by the wonderful Michaela Savina, who's also part of our production team. We all got to play this week, which was fun. And they are uh, two cousins who have been banished to the forest Um, And while they have been there, they are finding love letters posted on trees, Um, very Shakespearean, uh, but they all have Rosalind's name sort of through the poetry. And this little scene is sort of their little playful sisterly moment of Rosalind trying to coax the information from her cousin as to who this mystery man is. So this is the streamed Shakespeare excerpt from As You Like It. Is he of God's making? What manner of man is, is his head worth a hand? Is his chin worth a beard? Nay, he hath a little beard. Oh, why? God will send more. If the man will be thankful, let me say the growth of his beard, if thou delay me not the knowledge of his chin. It is young Orlando. That tripped up the restless heels and your heart, both in an instant. Nay, but the devil take mocking, speak sad brow and true, maid. In faith, cuz, tis he. Orlando. Orlando. Oh, last the day. That was <laughs> an excerpt of, as you like it, from Stream Shakespeare. This concept the relationship between stream Shakespeare and social media is quite different to a traditional outlet. It not, it's not like, for example, like a musician, they would write a song, they go and slave in the studio, then they release a product and then they come to social media to try to sort of promote it. Uh, Social media is so integral because you're live streaming through Facebook. Kiara, could you tell us a little bit about the, I guess, the steep learning curve that you've gone through about the relationship between streams, Shakespeare and social media? Yeah, it's, um, it's been really interesting to, to watch it all happen. I think the biggest thing has been um, a lot of statistics because they're changing so often um, and we're keeping an eye on, you know, which countries people are coming in and watching it from and what age groups and all these different things. But like you said, it's not like we just have one product and then we sell that. We have a different play every single week, which means a different event um, page within our page. It means new artwork every single week from our designers. It's it's a whole, you know, new cast list, all these different things. And we need to find a way to get people interested and intrigued in about three or four days so that they are then ready for when it's released on the Sunday. And by Monday, we're announcing the next one. So it's it's all really fast and we're at the moment trying to find, or I'm trying to find new ways to keep people engaged. Um, like we're, we're wanting to sort of show setups of our actors who are sitting in their bedrooms with books on books on books on books and then their laptop trying to find a way to create a space for themselves 
but it's yeah it's all really really odd and we're sort of trying to use YouTube as well and Twitter and Instagram because you've got to you've got to get everyone you have to have the gram Mm -hmm. oh always the gram we love the gram you mentioned before the the statistics so it's a different situation as well because you're getting it's not as if you release a product and then you see how people respond to it. You're getting data. You mentioned like countries, mm-hmm. uh, age groups. You're getting so much data whilst the product is actually unfolding. It's like real-time data yeah. about what's happening. Do you ever think that is all that data very useful or do you ever feel like there's an overload of information? Look, it's probably a bit of both. I, th- I think it can be helpful when we are trying to figure out things like we we are only we're on Facebook and now we're wanting to move to YouTube because there are different people that use different um, platforms. Thank you, and they might not be able to get to that Facebook live because the the times are different. So it is good to see what you know particular countries people are coming from. Though in saying that, we kind of almost get data from people just telling us because during the stream they will comment saying watching from insert country here you know it's 4 a.m or it's 5 a.m or whatever it is so sometimes I'm finding that's probably the best data without actually going into the Facebook analytics sending it all Mm -hmm. all to us we we had um, love's labor's loss that was really really popular with a uh, an audiences in India which is incredible so it seems to be quite play dependent as well the technology that you're using existed previously, but you're using it in kind of a new way. I mean, people have been having, have been doing like meetings on Zoom for, mm-hmm. I think it's been around for like five years or something. But the way that you're using it is unique and the way that you have adapted to using it in that way, it, it was such a compressed time frame of going to that. So my question is, what does theatre look like in two years Mm -hmm. i'd be interested to hear your thoughts about do you think this uh doing these kind of streamable plays for shakespeare or any kind of theatrical production is it going to be adopted and continued in the future or do you think people will revert to physical theater as soon like when the coronavirus problems have gone away we can all go out and play again what do you think holly i i think a bit of both i don't think it's going to become the dominant medium because it is fairly, at the moment, fairly limiting. Although I, I think I do think that um, the technology will evolve, and soon we'll be having you know three D holograms of people uh, digitally mm-hmm. performing in your home, um, which would be fantastic. Uh, but I, I do think that this moment in history that we're living through is going to create a whole genre, whole whole field of art, all of its own. That's inspired by this strange experience and the ineffable digitalness of the world that we're living in at the moment. Um, the ta- intangible, sorry, not ineffable. And um, I, I do think that it's very interesting since we've started doing this over the past six weeks, I've noticed more and more and more theatre companies around the world starting to do exactly the same thing. Um, they're not necessarily doing a show a week um some of them are doing um more polished shows rather than churning them out quickly the way we're doing um and, ex- and exploring improvisation but it is definitely catching on i knew it would 
because it's it's just so you know open to all sorts of creative ideas at the moment because it's such a new field um it's still got the wow the the novelty factor um and it's also extremely it's extremely easy to use and easy to organize and cheap <laughs> it's extremely cheap you don't have to pay for venue mm. hire <laughs> yeah. you don't have to actually sell physical tickets you don't have to worry about whether people are having snacks <laughs> uh what's your take kiara i think it's i think it's really interesting because at the moment we i have a lot of accessible theater that we wouldn't usually ever get like places like the globe and national theater and all of these places over in london that some people might not ever get to go to have been streaming plays of theirs so i think that people love the theater for being you know being able to go and experience what we were talking about before that sense of community the the feeling of watching something live and watching it happen in front of you that i think it's never going to, that's never going to disappear. We're going to crave it probably. I mean, I hope for our jobs people will crave it more. Mm. Um, I think it's going to be the last thing to come back because it's not supported anywhere near as much as it should be um, and there will probably be a push for football games before there is a push for indie theatres seen to be renewed. But I, I feel like there might still be some leftover little online things that will happen and it will turn into it just the I think the only difference will be that it won't be free anymore because now it's it's people can go out and and work and all that sort of stuff so I I think we might keep a little bit of it but use it to our advantage and another way for us to to create work for ourselves because it's as everyone knows such a difficult industry so if we can find another way to do it and make our own make our own art in a in a way that is a bit cheaper for us and maybe more accessible for some people then why not It's time for tell me a thing where I have a list of seven topics and I ask you to choose one and tell me something about it. The topics are musical equipment, recording equipment, Patti Smith, poetry, punk rock, death, and politics. So, Holly and Kiara, can you please tell me a thing? <laughs> I think I'm going to go first. Um, my, my thing is politics. I took a year off last year from doing much, very much creative, um, many creative projects. I did a few, but nothing very major, and focused instead on climate activism. And this has been something that I've been quite passionate about for some years. But um, when my sister moved back from Dublin and her husband works in climate policy and um, international climate change treaties, uh, I really started talking about the issue with her and him a lot more, in, in a lot more detail. And um, there was a massive report that came out in October 2018 that basically said that we have 12 years left to enact massive sweeping policy changes across the entire world in order to avert humanitarian global catastrophe. And obviously that had an impact. It did have a very big impact, but relative to the 
the direness of the message, it was not as big an impact as I would have expected. And it opened my eyes to realise how much we have been just ignoring this, the, the biggest story of our time. And at the moment, everyone thinks that the coronavirus lockdown is the biggest story of our time, but it really isn't. The, the thing that is going to, we're going to look back and remember the 2010s and 2020s for is what we did or didn't do on climate policy. Anyway, so I um, heard about this new group that was starting up in the UK in October 2018 uh, called Extinction Rebellion, and I decided that their modus operandi of um, putting yourself out there and getting arrested uh, in order to uh, attract more attention to the cause that of how dire the situation is with um, the climate emergency, I thought that that was something that I could really get on board with because um, having had a completely clean criminal and civil record, I didn't really have very much worry about being targeted um, and I'm not really a member of a minority group apart from being female. Um, uh, I have, you know, good educational background and I'm fairly privileged in a lot of ways and I thought this was a way that I could use that privilege um, for the greater good, I suppose. Um, so I got very much involved in Extinction Rebellion, setting that up um, as one of the founding Extinction Rebellion people in Sydney. And um, particularly, uh, in particular, I was the founding artistic coordinator. Um, and so we organised a lot of rallies and went on a lot of marches. And eventually, in October last year, we had a, a week of rebellion, uh, which was a globally coordinated event. And I got arrested. I was um, lying down on the road in Broadway um, and with a whole bunch of friends and we all, one by one, we're getting picked up by the cops and taken to their um, paddy wagon. And um, the gentleman who arrested me really didn't want to arrest me. I actually had to ask him politely to arrest me because he, he said that he, he just looked me up and down and just said, seriously, is this really what you want to be doing? <laughs> and I said, yes, I believe that this issue is the most important issue of our time and this is what I want to be doing. And he sort of sighed and took me gently by the arm and led me over to the paddy wagon and started taking down my details. And so you, got, asked to, you asked yeah. to be arrested and he and then he obliged. <laughs> uh, he didn't want to, but he was kind enough to give me what I wanted. Um, and then we had the horrible experience of being kept in custody for eight or nine hours without food um, and without proper access to facilities. Um, and some of us, I personally wasn't, but some of us were kept in tiny little boxes where we were like goldfish with glass in front. Um, and then the even more unpleasant experience of having these ridiculous bail conditions slapped on us where we weren't allowed to even speak or contact anyone else involved with Extinction Rebellion until our court hearing. That meant at that point that I couldn't speak to my own mother because she had just decided that she'd been inspired by what I'd done and she'd decided to join Extinction Rebellion. So <laughs> it was completely absurd. I mean, you usually you'd slap those kind of bail conditions on bikey gangs. Mm. Um, so I rang up Triple J and I had an article printed about my, my situation and made a big hoo-ha about it. Eventually, we had our bail conditions were completely revoked. The magistrate said that they were 
kind of ridiculous. And finally, when we had our court hearing, our substantive court hearing in March this year, just before the lockdown, the judge gave us all Section 10A. He Almost every single person who pleaded guilty um, had a completely clean record, and so he just dismissed the charges. We had no fine, nothing. And the, the, the comments that the judge made were actually quite supportive of our cause because he recognised how like the extremity that we have been pushed to, to for people who have never been in trouble with the law in their lives and who are upstanding community-minded citizens to have to do this in order to just get our voices heard on this most important topic for every single one of us. I would like to have kids from next year with my partner and at the moment I just don't see how there's going to be a future for them. It's just utterly ridiculous. Mm. Anyway, so now we're all in coronavirus and lockdown and um, so people think that that's taking the wind out of the sails of the climate movement but I think it's proven to us that sweeping policy change is possible and sweeping policy change that affects people's lives in a negative way can be accepted by the population if they see the need for it. This is the first time I've heard a story about someone getting arrested <laughs> on the podcast, so we're making records in many ways. Um, Great. I, do you, are there implications for you now? Um, well, Le- Like I legal don't... implications or something? I, if I was arrested again for a similar charge, I probably would not have my charges dismissed a second time. I'd probably get a criminal conviction at that point. Um, I don't tend to advertise this to my piano students, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't mind it being public knowledge in general. Um, I don't know. There might be a market. For coaching people on how to piano be by someone taught. who's been arrested. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that I can get my... my uh, ecological interests into my directing in some respect. I'm doing The Winter's Tale next week, so we'll have to wait and see how I'm going to do that. So that is a pretty tough story to top, but um, Kiara, can you please tell us a thing? Yes. Um, I, I, I don't think it will top, top it, and it's a, a bit sort of odd, but I decided to go with death um, for something light. Um <laughs> <laughs> And I, I think I've always had a really interesting relationship with death. I had quite a lot of family members pass away when I was quite young, sort of in the space of about two years when I was um, 14. I had two grandparents pass away and then also my older sister. And it was really strange and grieving through that has always been really odd the grandparents, not obviously as much you sort of expected and you know that that's what happens and that's life. But someone who you don't see as being old, it's it's always a really weird thing to, to try and get your brain to understand. And uh, not last year but the year before, I was studying in England and there was a medium there who my aunt had seen quite a number of times um, and suggested that I should go and see this particular medium. I was so sceptical but curious, as everyone is, to see someone like this. So, of course, I had to go. And the first half was just discussing my career and all these sort of things. And I I was just trying to pick at anything that they maybe said that was just not quite right. Um, And then she really oddly... um, 
started to cough and looked like she was struggling to breathe a little. And she sort of apologised and said that when someone, when a spirit comes through, she actually can feel whatever it was that happened to them. And my, my sister passed away from lung cancer. So she started to, to cough and struggle to breathe. And I didn't give her anything because I didn't, I didn't want to say anything. And in the space of this hour-long session, she said that there was a figure standing next to me who had sort of come through. I didn't say anything. She ended up saying that she could see that she had passed too early, that um, she had had issues with her lungs. She then said, oh, this is looks like it seems like a sister or something, even managed to get it down to that she was my half-sister and then even said her name and said, is this, is this, is she sort of started going through Katie and then made her way to Catherine. And I, from then, I think I was just a bit of a bawling mess. I have it on a, on a voice memo on my phone and I haven't listened to it since I saw this, this medium and I don't know when I'm going to be able to. And, yeah, and sort of wow. said things like she she's she's always watching you and, and loves you and all these things and it was very overwhelming and very strange. So that's my little story of, of, of death. How did it change your perception? I mean, you said you went into it quite sceptical. Did it I, change your <laughs> Oddly, I still I still am a bit. I just, like, it just, I can't comprehend it. But I I almost felt a bit more peaceful about the whole thing after and kind of have since then. I'd always spoken sort of to her, not, not obviously, but through those years I always sort of just spoke out loud as if I was talking to her and that didn't seem as, as insane anymore. And I just felt a calmness of it's okay they're okay, she's with me, and that sort of made me, I, I've grieved a lot less since then. Yeah. It's very bizarre, though. I'm still sceptical. Mm. <laughs> I'm still like she must have, you know, looked on my Facebook or something, even though there's nothing there. I'm just, I, you know, I'm every, every time I think about it, I go, maybe she, maybe she somehow found an Instagram of, of mine and, and started searching through that and found names and, you know, you, you try and <laughs> make it make sense. Mm. Well, Kiara and Holly, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your stories and telling us all about streamable, streamed Shakespeare. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely to be here.